a lot of good team culture is safety, ultimately. You want a culture whose first sort of achievement when it starts to gel is the ability to say the words, I don't understand, I don't agree, I propose that we do X, has anyone thought about Y? I'm Isabel Hogal, and this is Borderline. A bit of light affair this week, a break from authoritarian states and climate change. We're talking about business. My guest is Ariane Bernard. She is the founder of Helio Cloud, a CMS for creators like myself who do podcasts, newsletters, blogs, etc., who want to manage their brand. She is a new entrepreneur with a business that was born during the pandemic. And she came to me, actually, she is a regular listener with a desire to do an episode about something that she and I both feel has been little talked about. We've talked a lot about working remotely during the pandemic and a number of white-collar professionals who have no interest in returning to the office. But what hasn't been like for their bosses? We know that managers have suffered the most from burnout during the pandemic. And what hasn't been like specifically for managers of tiny teams, for startup entrepreneurs, for small businesses, trying to keep a team and a business together, or even start one, as in Arian's case, when you cannot see the people you're working with. And in her case, in the case of an increasing number of people, that team is distributed, it is all over the world, and there are cultural barriers as well as physical barriers of distance that are a very real challenge and impediment, but as well a great opportunity. So it was my great pleasure to talk with Ariane to go back to my own experiences as a manager of a global multinational team. Our full conversation was about an hour And you can watch it in full on Borderline's YouTube channel because I now record all of the interviews in video. The link is in the show notes or you can just search for Borderline on YouTube if you want to see the full uninterrupted conversation. I've cut it down a bit in length for the podcast to stay within reasonable length parameters. Remember that you can support Borderline on the podcast, on YouTube, and on the website and newsletter and everywhere else by becoming a member at borderlinepod.com slash subscribe. You'll get access to the podcast early, more content, access to a Discord community, and most importantly, you'll help me keep this going. Welcome this week to a new member, Rose James. You can join her and many others by going to borderlinepod.com slash subscribe. And there's one more thing that you can do for absolutely free to support Borderline, and that's making sure to share it around you. Send it to a friend, tweet about it. Right now, I'll wait for you. You can hit pause. It really, really matters. Thank you again. And now here is my conversation with Ariane Bernard. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. It's nice to see you. We're going to do a kind of a different podcast episode than I usually do. Maybe let's start with you introducing yourself and telling us what your business is. Yeah, I'm Ariane Bernard, and I am right now the CEO of a little company called Helio Cloud. And Helio Cloud was born during the pandemic. She was an incubated project at an incubator in London called Founders Factory, venture backed by GMG Ventures, uh, which is the Guardian, and went through her incubator and now is in the accelerator, not ever having 
a little bit like those babies, right? That only knows the world through the prism of can't meet real people, does not have a real (laughs) location, even if she wanted. And it's interesting because I think a lot of young companies like, like mine start remote anyway, when, when they're doing software, um, with, but with the understanding that you can lean on the real world, meeting people in real life, maybe hiring a hybrid offshore, onshore team. Uh, and what I found was building a brand new company and therefore a brand new team, especially a very lean team as these incubated startups are, uh, really was... Uh, I kind of opened up a whole a whole other level of what it meant to um, to onboard and to create culture and create alignment around the strategy of both the product and the business that I've found very challenging. Mm. I love that your business is a she, by the way. She's a she. She's a she. The world has plenty of natural he's. And it's, but uh, I, yeah. I like that. I like that. I think it gives a different, a different tone to the business for sure. So you're experienced in product strategy, business strategy and management, but this is your first entrepreneurial adventure, isn't it? As I well? am the first time CEO. Just as Helio is a baby company, I too am a baby CEO. And <laughs> I, do, I do have extensive experience with, as you said, with, with building teams or building products in the corporate world. But of course, the big difference, which I think is readily obvious to anyone, is whenever you're, you're building even something new within an existing organization, you uh, new is not quite like new from scratch. And there's also new well-resourced and moneyed versus new scrappy and lean. So with Helio, I am discovering true from scratch, everything from scratch as a product, from scratch as a business, from scratch as an organization, um, which is really interesting, but does, does mean that every single thing needs to be figured out um, for better, for worse. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, I'm with you on the um, starting a business mid-pandemic craziness. Oh. <laughs> I can I can relate. So, how has it um, been different? or been challenging more so than what you would have already expected from launching a brand new business yeah. by the fact that you know we're living in this very remote world. I think the two things that I really didn't. Um, imagine would be so impactful was the fact that there is having a remote workplace that has a place that they call the office, right? At Taboola, my, my, my deaf team, for instance, my engineering team work was in LA. I was in New York. My boss was in Israel and I would spend a week a month in LA and the rest of the time would go, go on daily calls with them to kind of, get the lay of the land, but they were in an office. So there was a centeredness and I was in an office too. There was a centeredness to the experience of we were at the office in separate offices, right? Everyone understandably, I think went through this pandemic, whether they were based in India, in Vietnam, in London or New York with their own lives being upended in some fashion, whether 
whether that's kids or just so many dimension or just social isolation or so that's a moving piece that I think also affects people's ability to kind of get into that workspace framing it for the long term I feel like there were many blunders that happened with Helio because things were a little bit too casual and it's weird to kind of to say that it's I think it's the environment, but I don't think that the fact that there was no work environment, I think that didn't help. You start something kind of looks like a passion project, kind of looks like you have all the time in the world. You don't. The runway is the wrong way. And you're kind of doing it from home the way you would if you're just starting out your new thing. I suspect that it did not help that, 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 you know, that there was no sort of, anchoring of that new company and for the folks working with me anchoring of that within the context of something that felt and read like work. Um, Mm. The other thing is, is really probably more connected with like, it's a brand new thing. And you hear a lot, of course, people talking about what's your culture and what's, how do we speak to each other? How do we convey what our goals are? How do we debate what these goals are? How do we hold each other accountable and how do we support each other? And all that together is culture, ultimately. It's how we speak about these things. When you're both trying to build a company and build a culture at the same time, which I think is the fact of every new every new business does that to an extent, right? And you add cultural distance and 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 time zones. And these are contractors, some of whom I would like to bring on board sort of more formally, but because very young company, not quite there yet. All these things participate in creating even less alignment or rather making creating alignment even harder. (laughs) And so we were talking about this the other day, but one thing that I know I had to really kind of struggle with was making the ask to turn on our cameras. That was like a thing. For weeks, I would be the only one who would turn on my camera in our daily calls with with some of the, the the engineers who work on the project with me and I'd be the only one who turned on my camera and I do understand the struggle of many people who are like I'm on zoom all day I can't just be there in that way all the time and it's like so demanding and I get it in our case this is an hour an hour and a half a day so not quite full day and and anyway it's different to say every now and then I just need to not have a meeting where my camera is turned on for XYZ reason, but default right to, to turning on this camera. And I realized it's such a small thing, right. To say like, it was hard because the camera was turned off, but everything counts. Everything that helps you understand whether people are connecting with a particular goal that you have for that week or that month or whatever, everything that helps you understand are people like we're discussing something maybe technical and trying to debate whether to solve this way or that way. I need to make sure, including in your eyes, if I can tell that we're, we're talking about the same thing that we're understanding the same thing and everything counts because the distance does not help us. I can't lean over your shoulder in two hours and look at what you're doing on your screen and be like, Oh, 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 that I think, I think we, we might be doing things differently there'll be none of that feedback. 
So you need to take everything that you can have in order to make sure that you that that what you hear on the line is really how this person feels. Like when they say, yes, I get it. Yes, I get it. I get it. I get it. Or I, I kind of <laughs> get it. Or, or is it like, I get it as in shut up and like, I'll, I'll do what I want and we'll talk about it tomorrow. And facial expression and how you look at someone in the eye or through the eye or the camera, as the case may be, is, is, is another signal. And, um, and I know that, so for me, the, the hard thing was the moment where I told, where I told these guys and even put it in writing in our notion, which was, I was like, wow, this, this is a new low. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to request that you turn on your cameras unless you have a good reason. Mm. And I hated that I did that because it feels so micromanaging in so many ways, mm. but I really needed it. Yeah, it's no, the no, moment no. where you feel a bit like the head teacher who's like <sighs> having to crack the whip, isn't it? <laughs> You're like, I failed at building a culture where like we want to be with one another, right? It's, 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 they, they want to turn it off. And I'm like, no, I, I need to make sure that you're fully engaged and present and not just like playing video games, which I didn't particularly think that we're playing video games while we were on these meetings. But it felt like, like a little bit of a, of a failure on my part to have to use authority rather than have that happen organically. Mm. Like, that's interesting though because that's um i think particularly you know millennial and generation we're in this mindset that the boss has to be loved and the company has to be loved and authority is unnecessary because people love their work at all times and and want to do what's best at all times <laughs> maybe and that's maybe a bit maybe i'm a soft a and bit squishy. too high a bar maybe, for maybe i'm soft and squishy place. no i mean I, th I think you're right i think there is definitely a generational thing with how uh, an older generation would not hang up on it the way I did. But I hung up on it because I was like, this is really necessary because there's so many points of unknowns to building mm -hmm. that product and that, and that team at that stage that if there is any sort of way to strengthen um, the ability to know that we're all staring at the right thing in the same direction and and are walking the same path like i need to take every every little thing that's available and it might have hurt my managerial sensibilities but i mean using <laughs> using authority at times is all you got i'm not yeah. gonna try it from this i have in fact um, used the words do as i say but <laughs> I, it is not it's not great when you have to do, to, to, to do that but it's um, interesting what you, what you were saying because, you know, you I think you used the word um, unknowns, right, and uncertainty, which is integral to starting a new business, right? But right now, there's even more of that because, I mean, the future is very hard to know. That's been the, the main struggle uh, for me for the, for the past year and a half. It's just really hard to project yourself into even 2022 and, and beyond. And you're working with people that you've never met. There's just all these added layers of uncertainty. So anything that you can control, anything that can make things just a little bit easier uh, in work and life, why complicate your life even more? <laughs> there's enough of that already, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely the distance 
the, the distance, which is both cultural. I am French originally, just like, just like Isabelle. Just like and, <laughs> and just like Isabelle, I may have spent some time in an English speaking country for a while. And I'm also American now, but that's a recent development. And while I'm very comfortable going from an American culture to European culture, and even actually European what culture was an adjustment for me in the few years that I did, that I did experience it. Still, these are cultures that I don't think I'm going to sort of, I don't want to say offend, but that I have a read on with all the variables that are down to the individual, right? People's preferences and styles and personal histories. So I don't have a problem going to an American and being like, turn on your camera, what the hell? You know, because the worst <laughs> thing that happens is that they'll be like, no, and here's why. <laughs> so that's fine. And, and I feel the same way about someone who might be in Western Europe. But I think when you're working with folks who are, who come from environments and have cultures that you only know in a much more superficial way, those are exactly the things that become, you're like, well, what am I actually asking them? Like, it feels like I'm just turn, asking them to, to turn on the camera. It can't be, can't be that much, but I don't actually know this. I don't know what this stands for. I don't know how they feel about me seeing them in their home environment, because again, they're not in the office. Is their mom in the background? Is their kid in the background, but in a way that they would not want for me to see their kids? So that adds to, I think, a self-consciousness of making these requests of people that you don't know well and, and don't really have a good sort of pathway to, to knowing that well. And the uncertainty is, what am I not getting? And what is this company not getting if we are not as fully present and as fully engaged as we could be? Because documentation will only go so far and it does not necessarily create the kind of alignment that in many ways you hope you create, right? Even with a brand new company that's, that's two minutes and a half old, you have to, I think, really prioritize as, as a manager, as a leader, that you are allowing everybody, even in their own sort of specialty area to connect with what this is meant to do and what this is meant to achieve for the users that you're building for and for the business. Mm. The distance of it means that you just, you throw it out, but you don't know how it lands. Just, yeah. I just don't know. And, and um, that's something to reckon with. That's where when I was growing an international team or a global team, um, that's where travel came into play, which obviously <laughs> is the problem now. You know, it's building a remote team where people on four continents. But always, you know, when, when people were asking me for their advice on building a team like this, I always said, you don't think you're doing this to save money because you're going to need a massive travel budget. Because I, I love that people are advocating for remote, remote, remote. And it's great. And it's opening up a lot of opportunities for a lot of people who couldn't necessarily physically be where the work is. But there's nothing like in-person connection and FaceTime, even where you're not, you know, doing the actual work, but just to be able to know one another as people in how we work, right? How we operate, how we communicate, what makes yeah. us tick and, and things like that. What I'm really curious about is, is there is a way to, instead of trying to recreate the things that were great about how we work before, um, 
like culture and all of that, <laughs> is there a different way of working that we just haven't imagined yet and sort of advantages to this particular way of working that we should lean on rather than keep to trying to recreate something that will only ever be a pale imitation? And does it become a world that's more task focused and, you know, where you don't? spend forever trying to be mates with the people that you're working with? I, I think the question is fascinating. I would bristle a little bit at the notion that the goal of culture is to be mates. Because right. the, reason, the reason I want to make sure that even if someone is an engineer with responsibilities for engineering, that they're connecting with a product problem or the business problem is because it will make them a stronger engineer because there will be sort of things that they'll encounter as they're taking on whichever sort of piece of the machine that we're building, that they'll be sort of faced with three possible options for doing something. And because they actually understand what our, what the trajectory is for this product or, or this company, that they'll be like, actually, I, then row three is the best one. The other two will be problematic for this reason, if not now, or it'll be problematic in two minutes. So the the difference, though, but I think it's it's really interesting that you point this out just after mentioning travel. Mm. The um, complexity of the distributed team is compounded by our cultural differences. Mm. If, if, for instance, I was working with all Americans or all French engineers, I do think that those early challenges of making sure like that I can read... I can read between the lines of, are we, are we getting this? Are we connecting on this? Are, do we see eye to eye? I would read that better because I, I would come from that same cultural world. Mm. And, and if it weren't the case, but we could travel, I'd be like, well, let me just fly over to wherever. We'll connect as humans for a little bit. And so they'll I'll become real to them and they'll become real to me where I kind of get other dimensions of their personality that I'm going to store in a corner of my mind and that help me read them when the going gets tough. Cause so, so for me, I think a place where it becomes really obvious, right. Is how an American team responds to your bad ideas as their manager is very different than how it, it's received in, uh, in other countries. And I, I mentioned I had worked with offshore teams before. They were remote. We were in New York. The, this team handled certain aspects of what we were building. And we would, say, send them some requirements to build something or fix something. And then you'd hear back days after. And was like, okay, so I did this, but it was really difficult for XYZ reason. And... But, but this is how I did it anyway. And, and you're kind of given back something like that's really convoluted and crazy. And you realize the reason it's convoluted and crazy is not because these guys don't know what they're doing. They do. It's because you wrote entirely stupid requirements or something that had a hole in it the size of Texas. <laughs> that in, in an environment where the culture is a little bit more horizontal... That engineer, so if I had given the exact same ticket to an equally skilled American engineer that would have taken this ticket, read it for an hour, and then write back to me and said, are you really sure? Because there's something really dumb in what you just wrote. Or there's a big part that's missing. 
And sure, I can I can do what you asked for, but it really sounds ill-conceived. So maybe you want to take another look. And that's <laughs> what I expect, right? Save me from my like like not everything that I conceive of is genius. Sometimes it's wrong, like actually wrong. And so I've been surprised the few times that this has happened that the way that my brief was received was she asked for this. We're going to do what she asked for in, in a way that did not, that I'm sure these guys were like, this is really wonky, not really advisable, but the client said. And so that dimension, I think you can only bridge if, if, if the culture of someone, like how they're taught to respond to authority or respond mm. to just what work relationships look like or client to, uh, to, to, to vendor. If you come from a place that has fairly different rules for how we think of this versus how we think of it in, in America or in Europe, I do think I can probably get through to you. I'm not going to turn you tomorrow into a, a big mouthed American who is going to just <laughs> take a look at that ticket and be like, it's obviously dumb. Ariane, what are you thinking? I, I get that this is a journey, but it is easier to imagine that we might get to a place with someone whose natural inclination would be to say, absolutely, we will do exactly what you asked for. If we've managed to connect in person, if we've broken bread, if we hmm. have created a personal connection where they felt secure in the fact that not everything that they might say that might diverge from yes would be held against them. What you're bringing up is is essentially that diverse teams are harder to make work. They're better in that they bring a lot of different perspectives that make your product better, that make you think about all your different kinds of users better. They're also just simply more challenging because you don't have that shorthand that you would have with someone from the exact same culture. Two things. One very short one. One advice that the former CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Weiner, uh, who was CEO when I was there, said that I thought was really helpful was because he had noticed even within the same culture, when you have someone who's like kind of that, you know, revered leader that no one dares question, which certainly Jeff was in many ways, you know, you say something that you think is just a comment in passing. And two weeks later, you realize that you've entirely derailed the work of a team because they've taken that for an instruction and they've just gone in that completely different direction uh, and he was like you know anything that you say as a leader you know you, you reach a point in leadership that all of a sudden you realize that what you say has a weight that you just didn't expect and so it was to qualify everything that you say with forget how you put it, it was like this is a mandate versus this is a mm. think about this versus this is just one man's opinion and you can completely disregard right. it i'm just tag everything talking. you say yeah, and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just have to tag it all with a level of, yeah. you know, is this actually, I'm your boss, I'm telling you, do as I say, as you were saying yeah. earlier, or is this just, I'm thinking out loud, what if this, you know, what if that? Because otherwise, yeah, you might, you might have the team just take one word that you said and just run with it. And two weeks later, you're like, oh, wait, 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 but that's not the roadmap. What are you doing? Uh, as someone who writes, who writes, who builds CMSs, I appreciate that it's like, no, and you need a parameter so that you can write a whole logical <laughs> sequence that is exactly. different. If tag equals just, just mouthing off here. Then. <laughs> 
Okay. Yes, that's the code version. The other <laughs> thing you brought up is this book that I just absolutely adore, which is The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer, who ironically also recommended by the CEO of LinkedIn. The CEO of Netflix recommended it to the CEO of LinkedIn, who then recommended it to his direct reports, who then, and so then they just kind of spread like a wildfire. So I think pretty much everyone in Silicon Valley has read this by now. Uh, And I've been recommending it left and right. And in fact, she ended up co-writing her next book with the CEO of Netflix. So I think he's got stock in this or something. But it's a fascinating book. She's a, Aaron Meyer, she's a professor at INSEAD. The, uh, the management school in, in Paris. And she's looking at how to manage and lead and, and communicate across different cultures. And she's got like this eight different criteria, like scale, where you place each country on each of those criteria to get kind of a map of how people behave, communicate, etc. in this country. And what is interesting is that it is... Um, it is relative. So it's not Americans are like this, French people are like that, Indians are like this. It's how Indians are compared with Americans and mm. Americans compared with Indians. I found that fascinating because when, when I was leading a global team, like I was like, oh, that's what it was. And there was a couple pages there about how French people write emails that I literally <laughs> scanned and sent to my French team members being like, this is why Americans never read your emails, guys. <laughs> I think a lot of this comes down to um, you're not going to change how people are, but at least understanding how they work really helps. But I Um, I think that within this, right, the personal connection you've created is the adjustment variable to leading someone who made either naturally or culturally, and it's hard to tell the difference, not sort of feel super comfortable telling you, well, are you really sure about this? Or, or it seems to me that we really should do something else Mm. that they will kind of break their own natural limits because you've managed to kind of get to a place of trust with them and connection with them that they feel this is safe, which a lot of also kind of good, I think team culture is safety ultimately. Mm safety of saying when you don't understand and safety to say you didn't agree or safety to propose even when it seems that a decision's already been made, which is not quite like saying I won't do it, right? Which is, that's a different thing, but it's, it it was something I even saw when I worked in France. I worked, so in my career, I worked only at American company, went to school in America and then I worked for American companies in France for a few years and then that American company well that was New York Times sent me back to New York where I spent many years and and then much later 16 years into my career in fact no 17 years wow I worked for a French company with French people in French for the first time which mm. was I'm sorry no it was <laughs> I wanted that adventure no, and it was very interesting it was very interesting to see what was easy and also what was hard just just as a and I, and I thought many, this is very much a sidebar, but like many times I was like, I need to write a book about this, what it means to go home in a country that is both yours, but in so many ways has become not yours. And where as far as one aspect of culture, when, which is to say work culture in this case, is completely foreign to you because I've never worked in a French environment and I didn't even study in France. So I, as a professional, and all my professional culture is only American at that point. And so... The reason I mentioned this is that the way that I understood how my French teams related to me was 
I realized over time. And sometimes after some really hard les- lessons that were not delivered in a way that I would say were sort of pleasant for me to learn, but useful, certainly, was the amount of how people would quietly disagree, quietly, mm. or yeah. not understand where you were coming from. And instead of American style raising their hand and being like, run more time because I don't really get what this is, which I'm fully prepared <laughs> to do at all times, that they would more like sit with it and that that this um, sort of like lack of having been able to bring them over to what I was trying to do translated into disagreement, mm-hmm. which was which I didn't understand for quite some time. And so the reason I say this is that I think you want a culture that whose first, I think whose first sort of achievement when it starts to gel and starts to happen, you don't like build culture as culture, right? Is the ability to say the words, I don't understand, I don't agree, I propose that we do X, has anyone thought about why? I think if if all team members, whether they are most junior all the way to your executive team, equally feel like they are they have access to these words without risking something yeah then you you have the making of solving for many other problems that you could not address until somebody is able to use the words i don't understand or i don't agree or i don't see why x right all other problems are like tumbled in the ability to kind of air that out yeah and there you have you have national culture. You also have industry culture, corporate culture. Yeah. That was probably my main battle when onboarding and hiring and onboarding new people within our culture at LinkedIn. And I got to calling it newsroom PTSD uh, because in, <laughs> in traditional, you know, we hired a lot of, and I have nothing but love for newsrooms who are my other home, but in traditional legacy media culture, things are far more hierarchical than in tech, which is, you know, probably the most flat, uh, you know, American tech versus French legacy media or, or, you know, Australian or whatever other legacy media. And people just really weren't used to exactly what you were saying with the safety of raising your hand and saying, Hey, what if we did it this way instead? Or, Hey, I don't understand what's going on. Or, Hey, I think there's a mistake here. And it's, it's really dangerous when people don't, you know, it's dangerous for the company is thing because things end up wrong things go through because nobody dared raise their hands. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's not safe for people, but getting people into that mindset of, Hey, not only sh- is it okay, but in fact, I expect you to, and we'll have a problem if you don't, that takes months uh, post onboarding of, of constantly repeating, this is safe, this and demonstrating this is safe. But the remoteness safe, actually makes that time longer. Mm-hmm. It's like, was this happening with a brand new team? But also, we did have physical kind of moments where we where we met. There's so much that you get. I, I don't. I'm sure that there's some biologists, anthropologists, or whatever that has studied stuff like this of just like how we feel safe just from the impression that somebody gives physically. Like I never thought of myself as being particularly intimidating, for instance, and I've been told that I am. And I would argue that I'm probably more intimidating on a screen than when I'm just like half ridiculous 
I won't say it at all, but it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to involve an adult beverage. Um, and you're like, no, no, this, this person is, that's fine. You know, on screen for me, what it is, 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 and I've noticed it on zoom cause I was doing zooms for years. So pre pandemic is, um, they called, um, uh, resting bitch face which i 100 percent oh. have and uh and i've taught myself as you can tell i've taught myself to to smile to have a smiling resting face because literally that's my that's my intimidating unapproachable face on zooms which is entirely just how my face muscles work but you know how it is and for women obviously it's even worse yeah, for, for uh, we just you know so it's like hi but, but that the resting bitch face thing is is not a real life thing no, it's a Zoom thing. It's, it's, a, it's a, a screen thing. I mean, that's yeah. not true. I guess there are people like you go to a real meeting and there's always like that like frowny person that you've never met. It doesn't strike you like, the same way. This person seemed really unhappy the whole entire time. And then you meet them <laughs> at some point and you're like, mm. no, actually, they're this just whatever. But so. if it's in a meeting, you can have a coffee right after and you're fine, yeah. right? Even if yeah. you got a wrong impression Absolutely. during the meeting. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's a lot that the coffee break. <laughs> it really is is kind of fascinating. I think to see what it is that we do miss in this kind of like extremely large social experiment that we're all kind of living in. I mean, not talking about folks who actually are working in stores and and real life locations, but at least for white color workers, there was always a fantasy of do we really need all this? And it's like. In a number of ways, you don't need all of this, but you do need some of this. Is there? I feel like we've been talking uh, a lot about how terrible it all is, but it's, have you found benefits? <laughs> yeah, I what's mean, been yes, good? Of course, it, of course, it's always it, it always sounds wow. This is just some whiny, some whiny story. It's not a whiny story because Helio did not exist, uh, not even a year ago, and we did build a multi-tenant, multi-site SaaS CMS in that it doesn't do all the things that I have a vision for it to do. And it doesn't serve the users in all the ways that I want for Helio to support them with. But when I think about going from zero to where we are, and now I'm raising seed and all that, it did happen in an incredibly small amount of time. And thinking about what you get, on the other hand, from non, from these non-lean environments that offices are by their nature. Like offices have a lot of cruft associated with them, right? Just, it might be fun cruft, but it's still cruft. I I think, wow, it's, it's definitely been something that has been enabled by the fact that we could bring people in, hire from a much larger pool of people to just this little project. I mentioned how I hired the first engineer who worked with me on Helio, which is how I like to recruit people if I can in the context of remote, which is to lurk. Uh, one day the cops are going to come for me, but like I'll join like all the Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups and the whatever, and just sit quietly and observe the conversation until someone who seems interesting says something. And then I creep on the internet, follow them home to <laughs> a more respected, you know, just find their LinkedIn, their blogs, their whatever, run the little GitHub secret script that finds their email, which is always a little bit on the sketchy side, and then send them an email oh, and say, you know. I'm interested in that. Oh, yeah. Well, 
there's there's a trick that I'm sure GitHub is going to plug at one point. But anyway, and and so when you send an email to someone and you're like, hey, we were both part of whatever group, you were making this point. This is really how I think about this, and your I checked out your profile on LinkedIn or whatever. And would you perchance be interested in joining in joining me and working on this project with me? Um, the reason why this is a strategy that's even viable is that I don't I'm not adding physical location as a variable, right? If if Helio was only operating out of New York City, most of these conversations could never happen because I would see in one second, well, but it's based in whatever, whatever place. The fact that I don't have to kind of use that as a filter makes that strategy of very kind of affinity driven let let the let people kind of self-identify as being passionate about a problem or being an expert of this particular technology or issue. And then, and then that's it. That's, that's, that was the only thing that really mattered was, was how passionate they would be and or how competent they might be. But, but that strategy is to me, one of the best ways to hire folks in a fairly low, it's fairly low overhead because the sort of way in which I warm up to them is not contrived. It's just, oh, you, you made that point that it really resonated and that's job. So yeah. that's, that's, that's because that's because it's remote. I could not do this that way if, if it weren't. So knowing all that to conclude our conversation in an alternate universe where COVID-19 is just a bunch of weird letters that nobody understands and you can do everything the way they've always been done. Would Helio be an office-based, mm. locally-based startup or, or would you go hmm. for, for that distributed model? I think a lot of really, really, really young incubated company because there is a question, just a financial question of how much runway you might have. And it's usually much less than you wish you had. That naturally just makes you want to say, you know, how much do I really need to pay WeWork for a space? And how much, how capital efficient would it be to at least do some of the development, whether you're a software company or something else, but with a distributed workforce in markets that don't have quite the per hour rate of New York or San Francisco doesn't mean that it's everybody and it doesn't mean that it's forever. And it, I think you have to kind of be strategic in your mind about what you could forever do as a distributed workforce and what would ideally sort of move back to a center of gravity for the company. And I understand that some companies really have figured out and figure out, I, I know a few, how to run everything distributed forever. I don't know if I know how to articulate for myself how I would do this like long term because because I come from a corporate world yes with a significant amount of remote teams etc but still I think there is a a part of my brain that thinks having an anchor in the world does provide for certain benefits um that I I can see now but but even before, I would say they, they are meaningful. So if I was a betting woman, which in fact, to build a startup, you have to be a betting woman is what I 
realized <laughs> in the past few months. <laughs> it's all bets. You, I would say that the, the, the kind of more mature Helio will probably have more of a distributed workforce than what I would have conceived of had little Helio been born in nineteen in, in 2019, in 2018. I think I, I can, I would feel more comfortable now today, like pushing the envelope much further with having a significant part of the company be distributed and kind of remaining distributed. And we work to build a culture that makes that healthy and fruitful rather than only think of distribution, distributed workforce as being like the early stage of Helio. But as soon as we can bring all that to a single point in the world, we would. I think now I would push that envelope much more. Thank you so much to Ariane Bernard. Her company, Helio Cloud, is a content management system for creators, helping them manage their brands and streamline their process and publish their content. If you're interested, you can find out more at helio.cloud and sign up as an alpha user. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, you can support Borderline by becoming a member. Go to borderlinepod.com slash subscribe to join us. It's just five pounds a month to keep this independent media going. And I would be extremely grateful if you would. Please remember also to share it around you with your friend, with your coworkers, whether remote or in person, it makes a big difference. I'm your host, Isabel Rogal. Music is by Offshane. Borderline is a one-lane bridge production. I'll talk to you next week.